It's been a long time since I last released an episode of Movie Mavericks, huh? Probably about six months, in fact. <laughs> Quick uh, note, though. We're not called Movie Mavericks anymore. That apparently was the name of another podcast. Sorry, didn't do the research before I named the show Movie Mavericks. Oh, well. Now we're called Manga Mavericks at Movies, because I guess that's just as good a name as any. We're just rolling with it. <laughs> yeah, if you hadn't guessed, we still haven't come up with a better catchphrase. Anyway, I recorded about a dozen episodes of this podcast series since the last one I released and never got around to editing them, but I'm going to go ahead and release this Death Note one, even though it is technically out of order, because why not? The live-action film was last week. We were talked about it. We got Colton on for it. We might as well release it now. I'll just get around to editing those other podcasts whenever. Hopefully, they'll come out this year. <laughs> uh, well, enjoy the return of Manga Mavericks at Movies, Episode 6, talking about the Netflix Death Note live-action film. <laughs> Kill me. A notebook falls from the sky, picked up by a smart young man with big ambitions, who dreams of making this world a better place by erasing all those who would make others suffer. But does he have the right to decide who lives and dies? Can a man truly become a god and create paradise on earth? Or will that hubris only lead to an empty void, full of nothingness? This movie is not that story. Smack about movies, and we record out of order and release in whatever, and we have a backlog of 20 episodes that haven't come out yet, and this will probably come out before that, I don't know, I guess, we'll just roll with it, we're just rolling with it, 
and we still haven't come up with a better catchphrase, has we, we Lord GPC. No, also, what's the last episode we've actually released? The last episode we released was Sword Art Online Ordinal Scale. Jesus, that was ages ago. That was in March, yeah, and we recorded, like, gosh, how many podcast episodes since then At that I haven't put like- out? 25 or something. Okay, that's a little overestimated. <laughs> I don't know. Like, we've recorded a lot of them. We have like, recorded a lot of them. I am going to say that this episode, like, this episode should come out before the end of August. I'm hopefully. hoping. I'm crossing my fingers. Who knows? It may come out on, like, September 1st. Whatever. Before it's gonna Labor come out, Day. It's going to come out August of next year. <laughs> I mean, You hey. know what? That's, that's pretty sad, but <laughs> I wouldn't put it past me considering the backlog. But no, I'm going to expedite this one. This is going to be episode six. Uh, instead of the ghost in the shell, that'll be, I don't know, episode whatever. Oh, God, that episode's still not out. It's not. That's a shame because this is, that episode is so relevant to what we're going to be discussing today. Day yeah. in terms of a really bad American adaptation of a beloved Japanese manga franchise. Except slightly less, less offensive. Slightly less offensive. But we actually have a guest on today for the first time since episode two, talking about One Piece Home Gold. We've got Colton on to talk about the Deadmo movie. We're going to have this as a little follow-up to our Deadmo discussion on manga Mavericks proper. Hey guys, how's it going? I'm glad to get to talk more about Death Note, and yeah, everybody listening, you should really go listen to that episode of Manga Mavericks. Honestly, I'll be real, I wasn't really sure about uh, how I did in that discussion, but listening to it again, I think I really enjoyed it, so I, I really want people to listen to that and enjoy it, so. It turned out really well. Yeah. I mean, we got a lot of great positive feedback on it, uh, that was a great discussion. Yeah, it sounded good when re-listening to it. Mm Mm-hmm, I agree. So this is a good follow-up to just kind of go over some things we might have missed while talking about the live-action Netflix film. But let's talk about our preconceptions going into this film, what we thought this film was going to be like. Because this film was in the works for 10 years. Mm -hmm. It was first announced that Hollywood Studios were interested in making a live-action Death Note film since 2007. So literally, it's been a 10-year process to get to this point for this movie to finally come out. For the longest time, Warner Brothers seemed to be the guys who were really into making this a movie. Zac Efron was uh, rumored to be attached to the project to play Light. Oh, I remember all those memes. <laughs> Shane Black was hired to direct the film back in 2011, and there was a creative differences between Shane Black and Warner Brothers because Warner wanted to change Light's backstory into one of focusing on justice to one about vengeance, hmm. which ultimately is kind of what the next. Netflix film was about. Yeah. And they also want to remove Shinigami from the story entirely. And so, like, Black was like, no, I'm not doing that. So, Warner Brothers, like, kind of squashed the film. Uh, it went through a few other director changes, but they just ultimately kind of gave it up and handed it over to Netflix because of, you know, some other things going on at Warner Brothers in terms of, like, what they wanted to do in terms of their studio output and whatever. 
But yeah, so Netflix in 2016 like confirmed that they bought the rights to the film from Warner Brothers. They got a budget of like 50 million and they got Jeremy Slater to write the script and Adam Wingard to direct. And then they began production on it pretty quickly after they announced that they got it. Like they announced they got it in, like in April 2016 and then June 2016, uh, they started you know, filming and stuff. So, hmm. I mean, the process behind, like, the movie being made, though, in terms of casting, like, that had been uh, already decided as far back as, like, late 2015. I think the changeover from Warner Brothers to Netflix happened even after they decided on the casting. It's hard to get a full background on, like, how the production timeline went, but I think we can, like, assume that uh, in 2015, since that's when it was announced that Adam Wingard was going to direct the film, like, April 2015, that's when things really started to roll forward with this, and that's where we led to the movie coming out today in August of 2017. So, yeah, this was a long, roundabout process into getting this movie made. It took 10 years, but it happened. We got a live-action Death Note movie. Uh, so they the wasted US. $50 million on this train wreck. <laughs> yeah, that uh, that sure added to Netflix's infamous depth that they're carrying right now. Like, apparently they've, like, taken... You know how they were, like, promoting it on, like, the banners of the website? Yeah. Apparently they've removed it from there now. Already uh, in one day. Wow. Yeah, they're, they're no longer promoting it. It must have not done well. I mean, critical reception, obviously, but in terms of streaming numbers, I guess their marketing budget did not play out well. Wow. So what were your preconceptions of the film? My preconceptions... Going into this, looking at all the trailers, uh, and like hearing about what they were gonna do with it, I actually did have optimism about this film. I thought that, you know, the concept of Death Note is just so simple that there is no way you couldn't get it right. <laughs> this was a film that I thought would work well in live action because there isn't that many fantastical elements. Like, you can easily capture the concept that captures the imagination of so many people that makes Death Note this, like, wide-reaching and enjoyable franchise, even people outside of the anime sphere. So I, th I thought they could do it. I thought that, you know, in the right hands, you could make a good live-action Death Note movie for North American Western audiences. So, you know, I wasn't, like, totally sold on trailers, but when Mutter's Basement started doing his breakdown of those trailers, like, and started picking apart kind of, like, some of the ideas that those trailers seemed to be presenting, I started to get a little more interested in, like, how they would approach this as an interpretation. Because clearly this would not be the same kind of story as we had come to expect from the manga, because this version of life was going to be different, the setting was different, and for me, what was going to be most interesting is how you're going to take this idea of justice, which in, you know, Japan, the idea of killing people, the death penalty, that is a really extreme thing that they don't advocate, but here in the U.S., you have people who do advocate the death penalty, who see that as a just thing, so there's like 
extreme cultural differences that would make the presentation of Dick no different. And I thought if the writers were smart and they tapped into the Western concepts of justice and what those mean and how that relates to our current social political climate, they could make a really interesting movie that reflects upon our culture and society of today in the same way Death Note sort of did for Japan back in 2003. But so that's what I was holding out hope for. What about you, Elord? What were you uh, thinking going into this movie? Okay, so when the first trailer came out, I was pretty negative on it. At the time, I hadn't read or, read or watched Death Note. But I could tell right away, yeah, this isn't like Death Note. It, it doesn't seem to be going for its own thing. And I was kind of like pretty down on it. But then like like you said, after Mother's Basement released his like trailer analysis video, I started to be a bit more optimistic. And then when people saw previews of it at Anime Expo and said it was like, okay, I was like, huh, maybe this is going to be like an Edge of Tomorrow type thing. Mm-hmm. Where like it's not like a completely faithful adaption of like the Japanese source, but it still has similar elements, and it still seems to understand what the original material was going for. Yeah, the early review that came up on Anime News Network was, overall, pretty positive. It was really vague about the actual details in the movie, but upon reading that review, and the early impressions of other people who attended that screening, I thought that, you know, this movie would turn out to be, at the very least, innocuous. A pretty decent interpretation, if not outstanding. Yeah, so, like, I I was cautious optimistic but yeah. once we saw the film all that uh, optimism died like yeah. within five minutes that's true but colton what about you what were your initial impressions uh well as i've talked about on other podcasts i am just kind of against the idea of a lot of these live action anime adaptations i just don't i don't care about them i don't think they really serve a purpose at all and i'm, I'm just i'm pretty down on them in general but with Death Note, after seeing trailers and, like you guys were saying, I saw the same Mother's Basement video, I was cautiously optimistic, too. Like, I was, I, I realized pretty early on, the more I thought about it, that, yeah, this isn't going to be exactly like the source material. And at some point, I felt okay with that. Like, I was I was okay with, with seeing a different interpretation of the story and the concept of Death Note. I was, like, again, like I, I agree with V-Lord that I was pretty cautiously optimistic as well, and I was even sort of defending the movie a little bit because you know obviously there are going to be people out there who are going to sort of you know pan the movie even before it was released like I had seen people all over Twitter and on Rotten Tomatoes already condemning the movie before it was out which like this is before the movie came out so I I didn't really think those were completely fair because like you can't in my personal opinion you can't really like pan something or or really criticize it, criticizing it without seeing at least a little bit of it. So I saw a lot of that, and I was kind of like, you know what, I'm just going to wait and see what happens. I wanted to believe that it would be good. D- did it turn out great? I have very mixed opinions, I'll just say that. Again, I, I don't think I'm going to be shitting all over it like you guys seem to be ready to do, but <laughs> I, I, do, I do think the movie has problems that we'll obviously get into here a little later. You know, it's interesting that you say that you are not very enthusiastic about live-action adaptations of anime and manga, because I used to be that way, but having seen, just in recent years, some really good live-action adaptations of anime and manga properties that I didn't think could work, like Roroni Kenshin, those yeah. that trilogy of films, like, I had seen clips and snippets of those movies before and from those clips and snippets I didn't think it looked very good. But when I actually went to the theater and saw those movies in full, 
Like, I really enjoyed those. And Roroni Kenshin is a story, like, it might, it is very over the top. It is very manga-ish, but they translated it into live action really well. There is some goofiness in there, but overall, those are really well-made movies. And I've seen other really great live action adaptations as well, like Bakuman, which is very relevant to this, of course, uh, considering the source material is written by the same mangaka duo. But, you know, Bakuman is, again, a story that's very, like, grounded in kind of the real life without too many fantastical elements. But at the same time, the Bakuman manga is such a manga. It is a shonen manga about making shonen manga, and that is, like, part of its appeal. Yeah. So you do lose something. And we saw with the anime how much was lost when they kind of translated that story into another medium. But the live-action film, it really worked in yeah, terms of what it, they... It hit it on point. Like, yeah. as a person who's only, like, read a few snippets of Bakuman, it's, like, great. It really kind of captures you into, like, the whole, like, mangaka lifestyle. There was, like, this one cool scene at one point where, like, they have this whole sequence of them drawing panels and there's the pages are just flying all over the place, like this big, like, over-the-top shonen battle. It's <laughs> awesome. It's so great. That's like a live-action manga done right. That's like taking the stylization, the attitude of a shonen manga and doing it right in live-action and making it so entertaining. Well, in a good way, not in a so-bad-it's-good way, in a legitimately good way. So, Can I just say real quick, then, I want to backtrack a little bit. You're, you're right. There are... I guess I should say specifically, I'm not into Hollywood live-action adaptations of these things, because I have failed to see one that I have really enjoyed. I know a lot of people like Speed Racer, though. I hear that one's pretty good, and I kind of want to check that out, but other than that, I haven't been very impressed. And I want to make that distinction because I've gone on record, you know, talking on Manga Mavericks about, like, how excited I am to see stuff like the live-action Fullmetal Alchemist movie. Like, that looks like it'll be pretty decent, I think. So I, I will give you this, that I think the Japanese live-action adaptations of stuff tend to be not only more faithful, but just better executed in general, even if they don't always have, like, the budget that Hollywood does. So I did want to make that distinction, but I think we can agree that most of the time, if not all the time, Hollywood adaptations of anime aren't uh, aren't very good, or at least they don't always hit the point. Right. I mean, we can certainly attest to that with Ghost in the Shell just oh, earlier this God. year. Uh, I mean, this year. Uh, it makes two big cases for... Hollywood not being able to make a good live action adaptation of a manga franchise. But as for the Japanese end, I mean, obvious comparison between this film and the Japanese Death Note live action films. I haven't really seen too much of those, but from what I have seen, they are pretty well made and faithful adaptations of the source material that most fans seem to enjoy. So you can do Dead Note in live action well, because we have those Japanese films to testify to that. Yeah, I mean, like, outside of Ryuk, there's not enough, like, fantasy elements for it to feel, like, weird and out of place in live action, so it can easily work. It's just, like, can you handle the material and do you understand what the material is going for? And heck, with a good budget and, like, great CG artists, you can make something like Ryuk look yeah. really good. Which this film kind of fails to do. I think that's something we'll actually disagree with in terms of how Ryuk was portrayed. But, yeah, so preconceptions of this film just in general. Some of us had optimism. Mainly me. I had the <laughs> optimism. You guys were cautious, but you weren't, like, outright gonna dismiss it. You were gonna watch it for yourselves. Yeah. And, like, see. 
I need to experience the disappointment firsthand. (laughs) Yeah, so let's move on to our viewing experience. So, yeah, you were talking before, Colton, about those early Rotten Tomatoes reviews. And I gotta tell you, those really did kill my buzz to begin with. Because, you know, whenever I see a Rotten score for, like, a movie that I was looking forward to seeing, my heart really sinks a bit. Because I'm like... Am I really going to go see that now? Should I go see that now? You know, it even doesn't have to be, like, totally rotten. But if it's, like, in the 60% or even 70%, I'm like, "Mm, should I even go see this now? Because it doesn't seem like it's really that worth it. Obviously, for this film, we were going to see it because, for one, we didn't have to pay additional money to see it because it was on Netflix. Yeah. And then, two, we were planning the podcast about it. So there was a reason (laughs) to watch it. But I don't put that much stock in Rotten Tomatoes scores, to be uh, perfectly honest. Like, Rotten Tomatoes is not an overall objective indicator of, like, whether a movie is good or not. Well, apparently Hollywood thinks so. It's (laughs) an Well, yeah, but they... They're misguided. I mean, I mean, obviously, why, why would, why would Pirates of the Caribbean five have such a rotten score? Obviously, people just don't get it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The thing that a lot of people miss, and there was this great video by Screen Junkies recently that broke down, like, what Rotten Tomatoes really is. Obviously, it's an aggregate site that takes reviews from just a bunch of different critics, Mm -hmm. and then it determines whether those reviews were positive, aka fresh, or negative, aka rotten. And then kind of just, like, finds, like, a percentage average of the number of positive reviews. But, like, that doesn't tell you that much. Because, like, you can have a lot of, like, reviews that are positive but aren't that enthusiastic about the movie. Yeah. Or a review that's negative but doesn't say that the movie is really that bad. It just didn't appeal to that particular reviewer or critic. So the whole binary system of the fresh raw dynamic is like fundamentally flawed and isn't like a good judge of like how good a movie is. So you shouldn't put that much like stock into the rotten and fresh categories. More accurate is like the aggregate score, like the average score rating that they put under the tomato meter percentage. Those are a little more accurate since those are like taking the scores from the reviewers themselves and then weighing it on a 1 to 10 scale. So yeah, you can notice a lot of discrepancies if you just look at the tomato meter score and then you look at the aggregate review score because they can tell different stories there Mm. but just in general when i see like a rotten score for a movie i was interested in seeing i'm like okay so critical reception to this is not looking great and then i also check you know the average review score and that's also well that that doesn't say very good things to me what i should see it and of course you know i also play stock in like the audience percentage because that's actually even more valuable to me than the critics percentage because sometimes like audience members are going to enjoy it more than like the critics will necessarily yeah for a lot of cases but yeah. you know obviously with this movie it was not <laughs> positive on any metric uh on any critic review site that you go to it was not positive okay can, can i just say just something i i kind of want to put out there is that i didn't put a lot of stock in, into early reviews myself because part of the reason i feel like people were just panning this from the get-go i feel like one of the main reasons is that coming from you know the anime and manga community in general you know fans of the source material you know who are expecting it to be 
one and one like the manga or the anime are going to hate it no matter what. Yeah. Yeah. So that's part of the reason why for this movie in particular, I didn't put a lot of stock into early reviews for, you know, for this movie in particular, because I knew there were going to be a lot of people coming from that angle, just personally. But honestly, even more than the reviews, I just remember, I needed to bring this up, is that I was also seeing, you know, people watching it and tweeting about it. And that was more important to me, because... Yeah. Everyone I follow in my feed, you know, I, of course, I trust their opinion a lot. Yeah. So, yeah. And so people were tweeting about it and, you know, it was still mostly negative from everyone who I saw who was tweeting about it. They yeah, were saying like, that this movie had some really dumb things. They were posting, like, clips of White's, like, hilariously <laughs> over-the-top girly stream when he first sees Ryuk. And so I was already given the impression that, okay, this movie is going to be really, really dumb, and it's not going to be very, very good. The only positive review, the only person who was, like, tweeting positively about the movie was Maxi. Yeah, back Maxi's, like, tweets gave you a little bit of hope. It's like... But even then, yeah. he was saying that there were, like, things wrong with it. Maxi, wish you'd say, really goes out of his way, I think, to be positive, which sometimes I really admire about him, but other times... I don't know <laughs> for for this for know, this like, in particular. I feel like yeah. the Maxi always looks like on like the bright side of things. I do too. Series. Yeah, sure, but like also specifically the things he was saying that were he liked about it didn't necessarily sound like appealing to me. I agree. Yeah, he had a positive yeah, impression of it, but I was not like super sold compared to like all the other things everyone else on the feed was saying about it, including you, Colton, since you had seen the movie before we did, and like at around noon or whatever. Yeah, I So actually I'm gonna seg into your experience since chronologically you saw this before even we did. The death note trauma timeline. <laughs> so okay, yeah. so so my viewing experience then. I guess as long as we're talking about our personal Twitter feeds, uh, my side of Twitter wasn't always super negative about it. Like, a lot of the people on my timeline, at least, were really trying to look for the positives where they could, but, you know, a lot of the people I follow on Twitter did acknowledge that, yeah, this movie overall is a mess, and it's not really all the way great, obviously. But, um, yeah, I guess as far as my viewing experience goes, I, um, I was looking forward to it, actually. Like, the closer time got to the release of the movie, I was actually getting kind of excited for it a little bit. Like, I was actually really looking forward to seeing how this would go and how this would be adapted. And, you know, I, I like, I got myself some pizza. You know, I, I went to my room. I went to my little entertainment center. I just I just had, like, the Friday it came out, you know, I had the day off of work. So I was like, okay, I'm gonna look forward to some pizza and some Death Note. This will be fun. So, you know, I, I was going into it expecting a good time, you know? Like, I wasn't, like, actively dreading it like everyone else was. But then by the time I got to it, or I guess by the time I finished it, I was just kind of like... I, my thoughts were really kind of all over the place at the time. Like, there were parts of the movie I really liked, and then there were other parts of the movie I just did not agree with as far as um, the interpretation of the movie goes. Which, that's something I've been kind of having trouble with in trying to criticize the movie is that... It's really hard for me to not criticize the movie as an adaptation because this movie is its own interpretation and it does things differently to an extent, but it still borrows enough from the source material 
for me to be able to separate it from the source material. Does that does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. So so like while yeah. while I was watching the movie, I can't really separate the source material from my mind. So throughout most of the movie I'm like, okay, that character wouldn't do that. Okay, this wouldn't happen. Why are they doing this? Like I almost want to say it almost ruined my experience for me, but that's just me personally. I don't know. It's really hard for me to judge this movie on its own without the source material, and I wish I could not do that, but I just can't help it. Well, we'll talk more about how this movie fares as an adaptation slash interpretation a little bit later. But first, let's quickly go over our viewing experience, we like. And like you, Golden, we were also eating pizza while watching this movie, though we were having it at dinner time. It's a pizza movie. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, we finished our work for the day, and so we did our exercise, and we were just waiting on pizza so we could go watch this movie, and all that time I was, like, wondering, do I really want to watch this? Should I, should I just bail, and maybe we can just watch Defenders or OKKO or something, something more. Well, we did end up watching Defenders, and it was... We did end up watching Defenders after. The and movie. it was way better than this it was. movie. Oh, it was. Oh, yeah. So, we watched the movie, uh, eating pizza, and, like, almost immediately... We found things questionable about the film. Just the way it opens up and, like, right before the title appears, we were like, what? That's how you're opening the movie? Really? You're gonna open up with this lame scene just showing, like, the campus of the school and then... You're not going to open up with, like, something more interesting, like, showing the Shinigami world. You're not going to just open up right from the Death Note falling down. You're not going to even have the Death Note fall down first before you reveal the title of the movie. You're just going to have the title first and then have the Death Note fall down. Yeah, that made no sense. Yeah, so from the get-go, and we were finding things questionable about how things were presented in this movie. It did not get better from there. At the half hour mark, I was like, well, how much do we have left? And you're like, an hour and ten minutes? God <laughs> damn it. And then to half an hour later, I also asked you learn again, how much do we have left? And we were like, 45 minutes? God damn it. Literally 15 minutes later, I did the same thing and we're like, half an hour? Gosh damn it. And this was during the freaking chase scene, too, between Light and L. We're like, what? There's yes, half the chase an hour scenes. left. Yes, it, the chase scenes. The best part of Death Note from the manga. Yeah, so there were like four times when we just paused and we to check how much time was left because we were like, okay, when is this gonna be over with? Are we getting close to the end here? Come on. This movie... We both felt it really dragged, right? Yeah, it definitely did. Yeah, I mean, we wouldn't be checking the time if we, if we didn't think it dragged. We weren't wondering, okay, we gotta be somewhere, getting somewhere here, right? But It's yeah. funny because I felt like the beginning kind of breezed through a lot of things pretty fast, actually. Well, honestly, that first half hour did accomplish a lot, but I... Just, with, just the way it was, it's presented just felt so slow, though. That's it, fair. Like, plot, plot beat-wise, a lot of things are happening, but it just isn't interesting. It <laughs> isn't because they don't... They honestly should have spent more time in everything they did in that first half hour so that we could at least get to know and care about what's going on first because things just happen in that first half hour, mm -hmm. I feel. That's fair. But we can go more specifically into that now as we talk about this movie as an adaptation slash interpretation. Or unless there's something else about our viewing experience you want to mention. Like maybe 
your total like anger at the end of this movie. You really hated this. Yeah, I kind of did. <laughs> yeah, you were yelling. You were saying, "I think this is worse than Ghost in the Shell." Whoa. Okay. That's, that's at like first, a swear I thought that. Here. At first, I thought that. But then, after reflection, I'm like, "Huh." This doesn't piss me off nearly as much as Ghost in the Shell did. Yeah. After Ghost in the Shell, I just felt dead inside. This just <laughs> made me angry. That's, yeah. And I, that's what I said, too. I was saying, and you can hear it on that Ghost in the Shell podcast, which to really get out. But, yeah, I was freaking dead inside watching Ghost in the Shell. That was a soul-crushing experience. With that note, it was stupid. It was really stupid, but I didn't find myself betrayed that yeah. much and that like ties into my opinion about this movie as an adaptation slash interpretation see the reason why i found ghost in the shell so appalling is that it was literally trying to recreate the original film but it was just doing it so badly and it was doing exact scenes from that original 1995 movie recreating them for no and reason it just did not work because the reason everything they do in terms of execution just does not mesh. They took scenes from the original film, removed it from context, and removed the meaning that was behind those original scenes, and it just turned out to be like lifeless, soulless. There was no ghost in that shell of a movie. They also had that one scene where uh, Kuze just randomly crawls up to Kusanagi to recreate the Puppet Master Kusanagi merging scene. Except they don't even go through with that. Yeah, they're like, fuck you, main thematic message of go- the original Ghost in the Shell film. Oshi can go suck a dick. Yeah, so... But Oshi liked so it. <laughs> Somehow. Well, so did Oba and Obata about this film. They said they... Really enjoyed it. They recommended it, but okay, you know, to each their own. Could you imagine if, like, I know we're kind of jumping ahead here a little bit. Could you imagine if, like, at the end of the movie, Light's dad just comes up to him and is like, "Son, I hate to tell you, you're adopted. Your original name was Light Yagami." <laughs> wow, I don't know if that. You know, funny enough, I don't think that would be nearly as insulting a twist as the twist that was actually in the movie. Yeah. Isn't that kind of what they did in the in the Ghost in the Shell, if I remember correctly? Yeah, it was in Ghost in the Shell. Yeah. Pretty much, they took a bunch of Asian refugees and tried to, like, literally turn them into white cyborgs. They literally whitewashed them. <laughs> wow. Uh, Motoko was... <laughs> The major in, Go- in the live-action Ghost in the Shell was literally once a woman called Matoko Kusanagi. And then they literally whitewashed her. And they took her brain and put it in a white woman's body and changed her name. Wow. Tamiria and, and Killi- this, Killigan. Yeah, it's... And th- that's literally a big twist in the plot in, like, the third act. They also took Kuze, a refugee activist, and turned him into a psycho-terrorist. And literally, they just make, tried to make him Laughing Man, but they were using the... Well, no, they didn't try to make him Laughing Man, they tried to make him Puppet Master. I got them confused, sorry. But yeah, literally tried to make them Puppet Master, mm. but they had him named Kuze, because Kuze had a connection to Kusanagi. Kuze was like a childhood like companion of Kusanagi and Stanley right. Complex, which is completely unrelated to the original film, but that, this is like going off topic. <laughs> It is, but, <laughs> God, I should just freaking edit it and release it. Edit that video. Okay. I will, but I act on the subject of Death Note, and why it didn't, like, insult me as much as Ghost and Shell, is that <laughs> Ghost and Shell completely missed, like, the thematic point of the original, and it was literally trying to do the original, but, like, super badly. With this film, 
I felt that they at least did not try and do the exact same thing. Nothing in this movie is exactly the same from the original manga. Not the characters, not any single event plays out the same. There are like broad strokes of things that are borrowed from the original manga, like the killing of all the FBI agents. Mm -hmm. And obviously, like, Ryuk being involved, and, well, even then, Ryuk is a completely different character in this movie. He wastes his apples this time around. He does. That bothered me so much, too. (laughs) He leaves so much apple! He, uh, what, what, he's so wasteful! The manga Ryuk would, like, eat them right down to the core. Like, have you guys read, like, the special chapter that released in, like, 2008 for Death Note? I don't remember. I think I did, yeah. Yeah, so in that, they explain that the apples that Ryuk brought back are worth, like, a ton of, like, value in the Shinigami world. And, like, you could trade three of those apples for another Death Note. Oh, wow. (laughs) And in this live-action film, he, like, takes, what, three bites out of it? And then he just throws them away. He barely eats really? it. He doesn't even throw them away. He just tosses them on a floor. Yeah. Like, why? There's so much apple left there, dude. Like, you gotta grape it down to the core. Why are you being... Ryuk would eat the core, too. He would eat the core. And, like, what, what happens when, um... What happens when Light's dad comes home? Is he just gonna be like, Son, or why'd you leave all these apples on the floor? Like, what the fuck? Because I'm an yeah. angsty teenager, Dad. You don't understand. never see Light cleaning up the cores... At all, so, like, does, like, Dad not wonder, like, son, uh, why are you destroying these goddamn apples on the floor? We have a fucking trash can, you're Also, something that, something that really bothered me, too, with, like, that beginning scene where, um, where Ryuk and Light first meet, and, like, Ryuk just makes an entire mess of the detention room for, like, no reason. Like, I wanna know what, what his teacher's gonna, like, how does that scene play out? Like, I wonder if he- Obviously he's getting more detention. He probably gets, like, another- week of detention at best for, like, fucking up the entire classroom. (laughs) I want to see where that went. I was more interested in that than really most of the movie, honestly. Yeah, I literally was wondering that. Okay, okay. So he's going to get more detention, right? The teacher's going to walk in, and that's going to be the joke, but they don't pay off on that at all. They They just pan to the light, wanting to kill more people. But that whole introduction scene, Rick Riot, that points back to, like, the change in tone with this movie. Because Adam Wingard, he is a horror director. He did, like, the remake of Blair Witch last year. He's done other horror films in the past. That's, like, his bread and butter. And you can definitely see he was trying to play up the horror vibe in this film. Mm-hmm. But it's never it, really scary. But so, going back to that Ryuk scene, right? They're trying to play up the suspense of Ryuk first appearing. But it doesn't really make any sense. Why does Ryuk, like, manifest behind a bunch of freaking shelves, like, all the way across the room from light, when he could, like, appear anywhere? He doesn't need to do that. Why does he create, like, swirling whirlwinds in the classroom to make a mess of everything? Not just to fuck with light, really. That's really about it. (laughs) Except he didn't really need to do that because his goal was just to make light use the death note. It's just a bunch of, like, fluff that is just supposed (laughs) to create this atmosphere of, like, ooh, spooky, ghosty stuff is going on. Well, hey, look, it's it's scared light. The movie tries to use so many jump scares, too. 
Yeah. Like, there are so many moments in the movie where it's just, like, these really pointless attempts to make a jump scare. Like, it happened in that scene earlier on. We just have, like, this slow panning shot of Light sleeping at his desk, and, like, someone slams down on the desk, and that jolts him up, and that's supposed to be the freaking jump scare. That's and it's like, really? okay, what? That is so lame. Why are you even bothering with this bullshit? Wow, if, if, if that was supposed to be a jump scare, like, that didn't even make a blip on my radar, honestly. <laughs> yeah, they're really forgettable moments yeah. like that, but they're interspersed all throughout this movie. So you can tell this guy is used to making really basic horror fare, reliant on like these really cheap gimmicks and stuff mm-hmm. that just do not register as all as legitimately creepy or scary at all. And then we can also see that with the how over the top the deaths are, like they're trying to go for this really gory kind of vibe. It just feels like Final it's Destination. It's sort of like a horror film, but it's just schlock. It is really just schlock. That is literally yeah. my reaction to that whole, to the first death that happens, the decapitation, and how gore, uh, needlessly gory and over the top it is, it is just really schlocky. And that really, that makes the movie campy, I guess, but it doesn't like make it like scary, which I don't know if that was the intention. It doesn't make it over the top in a fun, enjoyable way. It just makes it over the top in a really stupid, eye-rolling way for me. And it just bothers me so much that they go out of the way to be quote-unquote creative with these deaths. Like, to try and, like, engineer some convoluted means of making the deaths really complicated and different instead of just relying on the heart attacks, which I think only happens once in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. Only once does someone actually die of just a heart attack. And that is, like, the one FBI agent. And even then, he can't just, like, fall on the floor because of a heart attack. He has to roll down the goddamn stairs. Yeah, and then we have the other FBI agents who do that really dumb, like, fucking walk-off, like, the skyscraper. Yeah, they go up, like, this big building and they walk off the roof. Which, in terms of cinematography, and that's one thing I'll give the movie, is that there are some cool-looking scenes in terms of just, like, how they are shot. I think that slow-motion scene where all the FBI agents are walking off the roof and the overhead view we see of that that is kind of a cool image but then they immediately ruin it because when they show the agent falling down and like splatting on the ground and we see the gore it just does not look scary or goofy at all like if they had just cut the black before he hit the ground and we saw him shoot like his blood and whatever that would have been like more effective than actually seeing oh, yeah. like the impact like the big thing that this movie totally forgets about horror is that what you don't see is way scarier than what you do see. Yep. And that's especially true of debt and gore and all that. The implication is always going to be more scarier than the actual because your mind will always imagine something far worse and far more frightening. And that's what the true appeal of great horror is. And so... This Adam Wingard guy, I can't pretend to have seen all of his filmography, but just based on, like, this movie and based on, like, what I understand of his previous works, like, his attempts to make that note more of a horror piece, something that the original manga really was not, it was a thriller, it just does not work. Especially since they don't commit all the way with this. This movie is not, like, scary, it is not, like, have a creepy atmosphere all the way through. There are so many quips and one-liners and dumb little <laughs> jokes and attempts at humor that just completely rob from any of that angle. And the fact that the gore and the sh- is so over the top as schlock also robs from any creepiness or any attempts to take this seriously as horror. So that whole angle, completely wasted. And so then what do you have left? 
this movie as an adaptive interpretation, does it translate the game of wits between Light and L? Does it translate <laughs> the nope. thriller aspect of Death Note, the crime drama mystery? No, not really. Uh, well, hold on, Sid. I, w- I want to say something. So they did translate the cat and mouse aspect. I think they did it a little too literally. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it was a little more Tom and Jerry, completely with slapstick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Elle has anger issues of this. And a weird gun that shoots lasers, I guess, <laughs> that's in this movie. Which, by the way, that's a, that's something that really bothered me, is that when they get to the scene where, um, where Elle talks to Light, he mentions how he doesn't carry a gun, except apparently he does. I don't think that's supposed to be his gun. I think there's some gun that's, like, in the... I, I don't even remember the context of how he gets I, that I think gun. he was showing, like, the place that Watery was last, so I think that might be, like, Watery's gun. Actually, yeah, yeah that, that makes sense. It doesn't explain why it shoots lasers. It doesn't explain why it... Yeah. Uh, because he's moved. L, duh. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Sense. It it's not <laughs> set up at all. And it's not explained with good rational why he would have something like that. I don't know. It's not like he's connected to, like, some super scientific, like, thing. Uh, it's not like he has, like, a, he's working in a laboratory with, like, super geniuses who are developing that kind of technology at all. So, you know. A- so can I just mention one thing about it? Because you were mentioning um, how this movie has a lot of quips and whatnot. Not yeah. to the level of, like, Joss Whedon, but, you know, it, it's in there. They're still in there. And I gotta mm-hmm. say, those were probably actually my favorite part of the movie, except I think that's probably one of the biggest problems with this as a movie, is that it feels like it wants to tackle two different tones, but it doesn't know how to mesh them properly at all. It feels like there are two people trying to make this movie. One of them kind of want to makes it a more, like, self-aware kind of comedy kind of thing. The other wants to make an actual horror movie. I actually didn't mind a lot of the quips, though. In fact, my all-time favorite scene in this movie <laughs> that made me laugh for probably five minutes straight... It was during when um, when L makes his his like press conference to the media and whatnot, trying to get Kira to kill him. I like that bit where Ryuka's just laughing behind, like going, "Like ah, I'm gonna root for this guy. This guy's awesome." And fucking lights, like, "Hey, will you shut the fuck up?" Yeah, that, we laughed at that scene too. That is the yeah. one joke in this movie that I legitimately like. So we're on the same page there. I really felt like how actually annoyed Light was. Like it just it felt real, and I really appreciated his. Um, I really appreciated uh, Nat Wolf's uh, delivery on that particular line. I thought that was that was probably the funniest part in the movie to me personally. That was a legitimately funny moment. That is like the one the good the one moment, good joke in this entire shitty film. That's fair. Yeah. But most of the humor for me just came off as lame and you know, lazy. That's fair. I find these types of quips just tiresome because like it's trying to be clever, but it's not actually being clever because there's no like layers behind but, but Sid when they when they say. it's funny when they point out how many rules are in the death note because death note am I right yeah you know that <laughs> that really speaks to like the difference in priorities that scene where like Ryuk where Light is asking Ryuk about the rules and Ryuk was like oh come on Light are we really gonna make this about rules like as if that was the appeal of death note the rules and limitations to the death note and the creative workarounds Light would have to find in order to do what he needed to do in order to outwit L that tied in the whole of Game of Wits and, like, the strategizing. Yeah, that totally didn't happen. 
See, that one moment really immediately told me, okay, so the filmmaker's priorities here are not to do this game of wits. It's not to, you know, have interesting, like, obstacles set up for Light and L in order to determine each other's identities. It's not going to be like that aspect of the original manga. They're not interested in, like figuring out a smart thriller story. They will really want to focus on over-the-top spectacle and action and, like, really basic kind of stuff in the name of what? Oh, it's barely horror. Like, what even is the tone, the genre piece of this movie? Because it fails at, like, doing any of the genres it's trying to do well. At times it feels more like a parody of Death Note. It does! But I don't feel it's self-aware of that. Like, when the 80s music is playing in certain scenes, like the final (laughs) scene when Light and Mia are falling from the Ferris wheel. Oh my god, that was the... stupid song is playing. Whoever chose the music for this movie really needs to... The music is so on the nose and ill-fitting for the supposed tone of this movie. That, yeah, you could mistake this as a parody, but I really did not get any sense of self-awareness Me neither. from this film at all. Yeah. In terms of how yeah. it was written. Yeah, that was the point in the movie where I was just like, wow, this is actually pretty fucking stupid. It just felt really cliche. It didn't feel like, yeah, like, cause I was, um, I was talking to a few friends of mine about this too, and I have friends who feel the same way, like, oh, this was obviously going for a comedy, or for comedy or for a joke, and I'm like, yeah, I don't see that at all. Like, if it's trying to be self-aware, it's doing a pretty shitty job at it, honestly. <laughs> I mean, the faces that the actors were making were goofy. It's so stupid. But from the way it was shot, it was not being played up for comedy. It was supp- yeah. it was being played seriously mm-hmm. as like this tragic, dramatic scene. Just a waste of a Chicago song. You can tell that from like the way Mia lands in the flowers and then the <laughs> close up of her like dead face. Oh, like you were supposed to take that seriously and tragic. Yep. And supposed yes, to be Mia is such a great character. Her. I guess just overall as an adaptation, obviously this movie did not adapt anything from the manga well. As an interpretation, it wastes the premise by not doing anything interesting with the premise. It takes broad ideas from the original manga, like broad things, like the idea of a character called L, the super detective who is has these weird quirks. It takes the idea of Light killing a bunch of FBI agents who are killing him. It takes ideas... But it doesn't do anything new with those ideas. It doesn't do anything like that's that similar to the original with those ideas. But it also, what it adds to the concept is just nothing. It doesn't add anything. It, it really just, doesn't. No. It, it takes a piss on every idea we love. It inserts the killer notebook as like just uh, an excuse to do this really schlocky mix of an emo teen romance and a horror thriller film. And then that becomes an action chase film in the last 30 minutes. So there's a mix of genres that just doesn't work and no tonal consistency that doesn't work. So I want to go more specifically into the characters because what carries Death Note the original are the characters, again, the game of wits between Light and L, because they're strong, distinct characters, and each embody a different ideal of justice that they are fighting for. 
which again is completely absent from this movie that I completely forgot, but is really important to address, is that this idea that Light and L have different ideas of justice, and that's what they're coming to heads with, is completely gone from the movie. Like, this movie is not about that. It's not the motivations. Light's motivation in the movie, the motivation of Light Turner, reason he, like, decides to kill people, it's to freaking get laid. Yep. <laughs> like, he kills this first guy because, uh, you know, he murdered his mom because we needed, like, some emotional excuse for Light to want well, to Well, no, kill he someone. murdered the bully first. Uh, I mean, he mur- let's see. <laughs> okay, there we go. See, that's another thing is that he only murdered that bully because Ryuk forced him to. Because Rook told him, hey, write this guy's name down and watch what happens. <laughs> like, he doesn't make the choice himself, really. He just kind of goes along with it because this scary demon is telling him to. Yeah. Then the first person he kills himself is the murderer of his mother because he's, like, mad at that. And he's like, I got to kill this guy. I hate this guy. And so, you know, of course, we needed him to have a dead mother so he could want revenge. So we can make this a revenge story, make his actions more quote-unquote noble than the original Lycanami who kills random people on his own without goading just to see what happens and then justifies a reason to continue doing it. But then Light's reason to continue doing it after those first two people he kills is because... He is really attracted to Mia, who is this emo cheerleader who smokes during cheerling practice. She's cool like and that. And not caught at all by <laughs> the advisors uh, who should be on the field. Yeah, that bothered me too. Ever, which is super... Un- also, okay. Also, as a fucking fairly recent high school graduate, no one fucking smokes on campuses anymore. It's all about vaping now. It's so. all about vaping weed. Yeah, you can <laughs> tell no one people smokes. are not with the times at all. Uh, you know what? I'm starting to think Light had a point when he was in the principal's office and trying to bring it up, like, basically everything else, like, the principal could go after. It, like, out of everything, no, I'm gonna go after this kid who does other people's homework. That That's important. I don't care about my students smoking on campus. No, that that's not gonna raise any red flags at all. It's kind of stupid. Yeah. That scene was, like, really forced. It was. To, like, make Light feel like he was victimized. But Light, from the onset, is not a likable character. Because what is noble about doing other kids' homework for them for cash? And, like, he doesn't... When he sees that kid being bullied, like, he doesn't step in, like, out of his, like, own like, noble ideals, like, hey, this kid shouldn't be bullied. Like, he doesn't... He's no Jonathan Joestar. <laughs> he has no chivalrous sense. It's just when Mia steps in, Mia's the girl who steps in and says, hey, don't bully this kid. And then only when the bullies, like, react against Mia, because Light is so horny for Mia, he's, like, sex in. Then he's like, oh, uh, if you beat me up, you're over 18. So if you beat me up, you'll go to jail. Uh, yeah, How that motherfucker? Like, in that moment, I wanted to punch Light in the face. Like, is that supposed to make me like, like Light? Him using that super obnoxious justification like that's not noble that's not likable that's just annoying (laughs) yeah so can i can i ask you something sid because something something you brought up on our manga mavericks episode was that i i really want to know your thoughts on this now that the movie exists and that we've seen it because um Mm -hmm. if i remember correctly and I should remember correctly because I'm the one who edited that, but correct me if I'm wrong. I brought up the idea during the discussion about how I feel like the biggest way I guess the movie could go wrong is if the people behind the movie decide to make Light a sympathetic character. And as soon as I said that, if I remember correctly, you were kind of for it, but like, you know, if they did it in a specific way. 
So so how how do you feel about that idea now that you've seen it executed? Well, they executed it in the wrong way. Exactly. Because life wasn't sympathetic at all. There's no reason for me to like the character of like But Turner. his mom's dead. Don't you feel sorry for him? <laughs> I don't automatically feel sorry for him. I'm on the side of the principal in that scene where the principal was saying, you know, most people would look at you like Turner and see that your mom's dead and give some sympathy for you, but you gotta own up to what you're doing here. And and that's like my attitude because like light is just not admirable at all in terms of his motivations in terms of what he does in the story he's kind of a and puppet his, his entire attitude he's just not appealing like he's this whiny he's this cowardly character and he's not like despicable in like a really like interesting way he's just a really obnoxious lame character in like the most basic ways yeah like he's this horny introverted outcast he's literally freaking the the main character of Cross Account. This movie is Death Note with freaking the main character of Cross Account replacing Light. Oh, and no. I thought oh, about it as soon as I watched the movie and saw Light and was like, oh my god, this guy is Date or whatever that goddamn character's name is. I think Date Date's like the name of the creator. Oh, I don't, who cares? I don't even want to bother remembering that guy's name. But the thing is... But Cross Account's going to be the greatest show to jump success in. Sweet better than shoot on. <laughs> Feeler, please don't. Don't derail this right now. I don't want to have to interrupt this podcast to beat you up. I don't want Sid to have another heart attack. Like, please don't. <laughs> <laughs> I wish someone would write my name down the dead note if Cross Account became a huge success. Just watch it a year from now. Cross Account's going to be on the cover of Jump Again no. every week. No. It's gonna get an anime too. God, let's <laughs> not make this about stupid cross account. I want to talk about how terrible Light Turner as a character is because he does not is not have agency to begin with. And when he starts killing people, when he does finally kill a person, it's for like this reason of vengeance, which I guess is supposed to be justifiable in the context. At least the movie tries to present it as justifiable righteousness, because even his dad is like, well, karma's a bitch. He got what he deserved. That that was just... Yeah. So you're like, I guess you're supposed to be on light side with that, but he, you know, he still murdered a person, but like he doesn't feel guilt about that at all. Ever. He doesn't feel guilt about murdering any people. And you know, the scenes of Light and Mia killing people, they're interspersed with them making out and having sex. Like, I, they're I literally the getting thing. off to killing people. They're sociopaths. I don't know how you are supposed to empathize and sympathize with these characters. Because at least when, like, Yagami was murdering people, he was treating it seriously as, like, a duty. He was, like, writing down as many names as he can. He thought he was, like, it was this job. Like, he, he was fully absorbed that this was, like, a self-righteous thing in his own mind. And in the manga, like, we can get that. That he's actually yeah. takes this seriously. But in the film, like, Turner and Mia... They just get off on the power and the ability to kill people. Like, they don't have any, like, actual idea of justice or the idea that they want to make the world a better place. Like, 
the movie tries to shoehorn like some dialogue where Mia's like, hey, like, I don't think you're crazy enough. We could really change the world. Yeah. But like, you can tell that Mia is just full of it. She just really wants to kill people because she wants to kill just innocent people, obviously, later on. Like, Light's dad and the FBI agents he kills. You know, you know one thing this film does better than the manga? It managed to create a worse female character than the manga. That's one thing it does better? I don't fucking know her. Okay. That's, no, it's surprising yeah. that it actually makes it a worse character than Misa. Misa yeah. Misa had really wrong reasons for wanting to kill people in terms of her idolization of Light and like her willingness to kill any girl who got close to Light. But at least there was humor to her. At least there was like this charm. She had kind of this brightness that gave some levity to the series alongside Matsuda. So she had a good purpose in that light, even though, you know, the series doesn't treat her the best. But with Mia as a character, she is like... So the thing with how they approached Light and Mia in this film is that they took Light Yagami as a character. And this is like the writer's own words, that this is like intentional, that they took Light Yagami's personality traits and they split it between Light Turner and Mia. So Mia inherited like Light's conniving, manipulative nature. Oh, wow. And then so Light Turner inherited like... I guess this moral grounding of like I guess why not do it the other the way writer kind of misinterpreted like Yagami if he really I mean saw this is the guy who moral grounding to his character. I mean this is the guy who wrote the Fantastic Four reboot, Yeah, I so. should point oh, out that Jeremy really? Slater, the writer of this movie wrote Fan Force Day. Jesus and, Christ. Uh, you know we remember that on Twitter like he was saying, "Oh, uh, they didn't uh, use everything I wrote in the Fan Force Day. It's not my fault, guys." But, you know, he he was responsible for that. Jesus. And this film also shows that, okay, his writing is probably not that great. The original fan stick draft he written was probably not going to be great if this is, like, him unfilled. Fox probably made it better. That's yeah. really interesting, though, because, like, it really... See, now that you said that, like, I guess I'm not surprised, like, because it really felt like throughout the entire movie, I couldn't help but think, why isn't Mia the main character? Like, she she feels more like Light than Light does. It's really off-putting. <laughs> Yeah, that was an intentional choice on the writer's part to split up their personality traits. It could have been interesting if they had done it well, but the problem is because Light and Mia are such shallow and uninteresting characters, it just doesn't work. And again, that's the big problem with these characters is that they are really shallow in their motivations. They are horny, emo teenagers that are like, eh, everyone in this world sucks, but we're great and we should kill all the people who are making this world suck for us. Like, they are so childish. And Light Yagami was childish, but at least he was smart yeah. in how he did things. But Mia's a fucking idiot. Light and Mia are really I feel like stupid. Light's the Nothing. bigger idiot. Like, God, Light is such a fucking dumbass. Like, I'm gonna take out the Death Note while I'm in the bleachers at my gym. Hopefully nobody will see it. Like, why do you have it out in public? Why would you have that on you at school? Leave that shit at home, fucking idiot. And why would you tell this girl you barely know about the Death Note and ensure you can kill people? Oh, right, it's because you're horny and you want to bang her and you think that showing her that you can kill people will make you look super hot It's really and cool, man. Attractive. Ooh. Yeah. All the cool people kill people. 
So I at first I thought Light was the biggest idiot in this film, but by the end of the film, I kind of changed that to Mia because Mia fucks up the entire plan. Yeah, Mia yeah. steals the page with Watery's name on it, so Watery dies when they could have found out Elle's identity, and it's all because Mia wants the death note for herself. Which she should have, if she wanted to power cuck, hungry. If she wanted to cuck Light, she could have done it after they <laughs> killed Elle. She like, also didn't realize that, like, Light could have just screwed her over easily because he has the death note. Like, there's nothing stopping him from writing hurting them, which is what happens and which is why she dies. So she really screws yeah, up. Yeah, so she just fucked them both over for no reason. Also, he go he goes through this really convoluted plan that ends with his page of the death note with his uh, name written on it, burned. He could have yeah. done that at any time. And it's... I hate how the movie tries to present it as this really clever thing. Because it's, it, it's not. really contrived. Like, it's the stupid. biggest... Okay, so the, how the movie uses the Death Note is that it overuses, like, this mind control aspect. Yeah. Like, because the, there's no limitations to the mind control in this movie. They can make other people just do anything over, like, I mean, it's only supposed to be two days that they can do it, as opposed to, like, in the manga. 23 days. Yeah, manga. that's what yeah. I thought. So, there are no limitations to, into what they can do. Like, Ryuk says at some point that, oh, you can't do things that are physically impossible, but he might as well have done things that are physically impossible for, like, how much implausible detail is written out for all of these deaths and the circumstances, especially in that last big scheme of lights to kill Mia off and, like, absolve himself of being Kira. It's not clever in the same way that, like, light schemes in the original manga were. Because that actually was, like, stuff that, when you think about it, reading, you're like, oh, that's really clever. That was really playing the rules. And it was right there in front of us the whole time, but we just didn't see it. But here, you don't get enough information for it to be really an interesting mystery to how light's going to get out of it. And it's just, you know, obscured in so much over-the-top bullshit that it's like, okay, really? That was the point of all that? That was supposed to be all planned out, really? Coincidentally, like, the Ferrisville was going to explode and drop Mia into the sea, and then the just going to happen to be a burn barrel there? And, like, they're so vague about, like, certain stuff like that, certain specific things, like, oh, the page of the notebook with life's name on it is going to burn up. Okay, uh... I guess that's going to happen at the freaking amusement park. Just going to be a random burn barrel for it to fly into. That's a little too specific. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, like, they really abuse the rules of the Death Note in really uninteresting and, like, hacky ways. Yeah. Just to, like, move the plot forward and get the characters where they need to be and, like, pull off this super big twist that... It's like, whatever. Okay. And, and that's kind of going to the bigger issues that they never really give you a good baseline for the rules. They just joke about, oh, there's so many rules. And then they just really only focus on, okay, mind control, and you can write your name, name down and, like, kill people. Yeah, and you can burn a page of the, one page of the notebook to Which prevent just sounds time. overly convenient. Yeah. yeah. And that's not in the manga at all. So yeah. That's like uh, and also, you know, the whole reason, like, the big gambits in the manga worked is because, like, you had two smart people, like, trying to outwit each other and figure out each other's game. That's completely absent in this film because in their first meeting, Light tells Elle that, yeah, he's Kira. He doesn't outright say, I'm Kira, but he basically confirms to Elle that, yeah, he's Kira. What are you going to do about it? 
So, you know, that whole thing goes down the drain. Yeah. So, when you get to that, like, final, like, big moment that scene in the film where Light's going to do his gambit and stuff, like, that's not what you're thinking about. You're not thinking about, okay, how is he going to outwit L? That's, you're going to, you're just looking at, okay, so they're on this Ferris wheel, and, uh, I guess one of them is going to die at the very least. Uh, it looks like it's going to be Mia, because that's going to be the more obvious. Yeah. So, it's not, very smartly written, like the original manga, in terms of the twists and turns. Characters are not very good at all. Well, can we talk about L? Oh, God, we L in this can. film. Can I just say real quick, because I, I feel like you guys are going to have way more negative things to say than I will, but I will say, I really thought throughout the first, like, hour of the movie, I was actually pretty confident in how they would portray L. Like, because the more I spent time with him, the more I saw him on screen, I should say, with the exception of them, like, really driving home, like, how much he likes sweets, which I felt like was a little excessive. But outside of that, I actually really didn't mind this portrayal of L. Like, it really felt like the character to me. Like, I actually, I wanted to watch more of him. And L up to a certain point, I think, is the best part of the movie. And it's it's around the point where L meets Light and, you know, they start having their conversation, and L starts having this, like, outburst, this, like, this scene in public, because he gets so, like, passionate about their conversation, really kind of... Like, if that were the only outburst L has in the movie, I wouldn't mind it as much. And I get that, yeah, like, Light uses Watari to try to find L's real name, and Watari ends up dying. And I can kind of understand in this movie, yeah, that would upset L. And they did kind of set up Watari as, like, the father figure of L, And I feel like that maybe could have been interesting, an interesting aspect of L and his character to, to explore. I feel like you can mine that for good stuff, I think. But, like, the emotional outburst that L has in, like, the last 40 minutes of the movie, like, it really took me out of the movie. I was just like, because he gets to this point where, like, Watari dies, he gets out his fucking laser gun, steals a police car, and starts chasing Light, and all I'm thinking is, like, okay, L was not without emotion in the manga. Like, I'm, I'm kind of of the opinion that, like, I like the characters in Death Note, but there are very few of them that don't feel like just kind of walking ideals, in my opinion. That's just me personally. L, I felt like, at least had enough of a personality. He felt human to me. So, L was his genius, but he he didn't let his emotions overcloud his judgment. He would have been upset at first, but he would have found a way to fuck Light over and rub it in his face, because that's just his character. I felt like L emoted too much, and I really felt like he acted way more recklessly than uh, than I feel like his actual character would have. And in that, like, he even gets to the point where, like, near the end of the movie... He, he has the opportunity to, like, write down Light's name in the Death Note, and, oh, he can't do it. Which, to be fair, I feel like there's a wasted opportunity there in there, too, with some kind of parallel you could have drawn there between how easy it was for Light to write down his parents' assailant in the Death Note, whereas L had a hard time, basically couldn't bring himself to do it. I feel like if this movie were written smarter... I feel like you could explore the parallels of their character using those two scenes, but uh, unfortunately, this movie isn't smart enough to really explore their characters deeply enough. But basically, the point I'm getting to is that the thing I was disappointed in most was that I really enjoyed Elle's portrayal, and I really thought they actually kind of stuck to what his character was about up until the last 40 minutes of the movie, and then his character just falls apart. Honestly, I thought that was the most disappointing thing about this adaptation. 
Yeah, I liked Elle's earlier scenes. Like, the actor, Lakeith Stanfield, did a really good job capturing, like, the mannerisms of this, like, awkward, kind of antisocial recluse. So there were some good, like, moments in there with him early on. But, like, as soon as, like, Watari, like, gets mind-controlled and disappears and he becomes really emotional and irrational, that's where, like, the character completely lost me. He just stops being Elle. Yeah. No, it's not. And, like, I find the whole ending scene where Elle finds, like, that page of the Death Note. It teases, oh, is he going to write the name down? I found that insulting. Like, commit one way or the other. Like, that is just, like, this open ending that is just, like, okay, uh, we might get a sequel, so we don't want to, like, completely, we don't want to, like, definitively kill off one of these characters. But if we don't get a sequel, we should have, like, a tease of, oh, maybe this is how it ends. Oh, 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 oh. You know, you know. Regardless of how bad this film was going to be, the one thing I was looking forward to is seeing Light eat it at the end. Yeah. <laughs> and they don't even give me that. I was really yeah, hoping for that, the too. the satisfaction of Light yeah. being defeated. He comes out of this, like, okay, I mean, maybe I'll write his name down. I don't know. That's still not that satisfying. Yeah. Because he never gets truly punished for all the horrible things he does. And for being the horrible person that he is. The movie, like, is sympathetic to Light. The movie, like, portrays Light is in the right. <laughs> it never raises a question of is like the bad guy at all. It shows me as the bad guy. Never liked. Yeah. Going back a bit to like light controlling watery. Oh yeah, that's really like, stupid. Oh. Like I guess you don't need the last name anymore. Yeah. Uh, or okay, the fact so, that watery isn't even his actual name. Yeah. Like in the <laughs> manga, maybe in this it's his actual name, but it, like in the manga, it was not his name. It was a pseudonym. Yeah. yeah. And like. F- Rem found it out when, like, like a watcher was trying to snipe her, and that's the only reason she knew it. But in this, apparently, you can just use a pseudonym, which then brings up the question: Couldn't the moment that L showed his face to Light, couldn't Light have just written his name down in the notebook? Unless L was a pseudonym, they don't give us a clear answer. Yes, but if he only needs Watery, then... but again, I think in this movie, Watery was supposed to be his actual name. Yeah, but he doesn't know the last name. Yeah, but again, L wouldn't be his actual first name. Okay, yeah, that's, that's, that's a good that point. Yeah, that's what still it's dumb. Yeah, it is really dumb. It's just a big oversight in terms of like logic. That was the point in the movie where they come up with the idea to control Waterdy. That was when the movie just kept like just going downhill for me personally. And the thing yeah, is, that like, was like the most absurd use of the mind control because Waterdy like goes through all this like stunk and like acts as like his own like independent agent and it's like talking to life in this like hypnotic state and this is like when like asked Naomi Osora when she was being mind controlled like hey you can call my dad now uh, do you want to do it and now it was like I am not focused on that anymore and so like I guess they took that idea from like that one scene in the manga and expanded it until this whole subplot but it just felt so forced and it felt so like I guess he's like this hypnotized robot <laughs> Yeah, uh, and I was like expecting, you know, I was holding out hope that okay, maybe this is all just a scheme on L's part. Maybe yeah, L is having Watery play along with this scheme so that he can uncover more information and expose life. But no, that's not what they go. God, with. That would have been so uh, good. Watery is actually being mind controlled, and uh, he actually almost tells Light uh, L's real name, but then of course he gets shot. Because yeah, I was so I was so fucking pissed at the scene where Watery gets controlled, and then you're like, hey, this this must be Watery trying to like fool Light, and then 
yeah. it just keeps going and going. And it yeah, like, you were making a fit about it. I was like, okay, actually, let's wait and see where they go with this. This might be a gambit by Al, but nope, I was proven wrong. I was, I was proven to be a fool. I was too <laughs> trusting of this goddamn movie that did not deserve my trust, and I should have <laughs> realized it. I, I, I was oh, tricked again. I was tricked again. <laughs> what was the last thing that tricked you? Ghost in the Shell. Oh, okay. How did that trick you, though? We knew it was going to be bad from the start. I'm just too optimistic about movies, V-Lord. Look, V-Lord, like, life hasn't beaten the shit out of Sid just yet. Like, give it a couple years. I mean, it has. It has beaten the shit out of me. But when it comes to my entertainment, I'm... He he likes to be a bit more optimistic. Yeah. That's fair. So, the only other major characters in this movie are James Turner, Light's dad, who is, like, whatever, he's uh, he's a cop, cares about his son, uh, I guess. So, I I, I do want to talk a little bit about Light's dad, because I I felt like at least, again, up until the very end of the movie, they portrayed him, I think, well enough, because... You know, as much like I went on on Manga Mavericks about how much I really like Soichiro Yagami. I really felt like he was yeah. one of the best characters in the series. But like, he's kind of an example of what I was saying earlier that as much as I like the characters in Death Note, a lot of them are walking ideals, and Soichiro Yagami was like the most basic example of that. I feel like, yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. Because outside of his ideals of justice and as a cop or whatever, and his love for his family and his son or whatnot, he's not really a character in a sense. Or at least there's not a ton of substance to him when you really think about it. I would disagree about Suichiro. I think that there is a whole lot of depth to him in terms of, like, how he cares about his family, the lengths he's willing to go to, you know, because he's such a good person and wants to solve this case. But we talked a lot about Suichiro, and I think I just said my piece on him. That's fair. All I'm saying is I think he's a simple enough character that... Like, it's really hard to fuck fuck him up, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know what? I even think that through some of the dialogue, I felt like, I don't know, you guys might disagree with me on this, and that's totally fine, but I felt like his dialogue made him feel more, feel more like a person, in a way. I, like, it made him feel more like a real character, in a way. He did feel like more like an actual human being. But, to like, me, it yes. just wasn't enough with him and not not enough scenes like showing like the positive bond between him and Light for me to really get invested. He, in he just doesn't do much in this he movie, doesn't. I feel. Yeah, and it asks like Suitro being killed off was a threat the entire manga, but I never really felt like James Turner was in danger. No. Like I never felt like they were yeah. he could actually get killed off. But I, I do want to say, the thing that really gets me about the end of the movie is that he ends up figuring out that his son is Kira. And it just kind of bothers me, like, the difference in characters here, because in the manga, we talked about this on Manga Mavericks too, about how Suichiro would literally kill himself if his son turned out to be Kira. He was a man who was willing to take responsibility for his family and his son if the worst turned out to be true. In this version, he figures out that Light is Kira, but, like, I think he takes it way too well, and I feel like that's kind of insulting. Yeah. That was just the final nail in the coffin for me, honestly. Like, yeah, fuck this movie. (laughs) Yeah, it serves to highlight how underdeveloped his character was, because... I mean, it didn't infuriate me, because he wasn't Soichiro Yagami. He wasn't the same character at all in terms of his characterization. Like, Suichiro Yagami is not going to say, Karma is a bitch, you know? So, James Turner, he was like, okay. He was a generic cop. He was a generic cop. Like, uh, he was a renegade who, like, is going to bring this case to the light. But 
I guess in the end, like, I don't know what he decides to do. Like, I don't know. It's just another layer to the ambiguity of the ending, I guess, that they wanted to put. Like, even if L doesn't kill Light, is his dad gonna turn him in? We don't know. Like, he asked Light, what side are you on? Are you the better evil? Are you the worse evil? What are you? Like, that's the one moment where the movie ever tries to posit that what Light was doing was bad. It's at the final scene. But for the entire movie, you portrayed him as the victim, as the yeah. guy who's getting screwed by everyone else. So. Bit too little, too late. Yeah. Speaking of, so, um, I'm sorry, speaking of the cops, I want to bring up a really interesting difference between the movie and the source material that mm-hmm. really kind of, I don't want to say blew my mind, but I really thought was interesting. I just find it kind of interesting how in the movie... James does bring up this point about how at least most cops seem to kind of favor the existence of Kira because it makes their job capturing criminals easier. Whereas in the manga, this is kind of a really interesting cultural difference kind of thing is that, you know, a lot of the cops in the original series, like, they weren't really all for Kira. And I just, I find that difference in attitude with both of these iterations culturally very interesting. Yeah, I mean, here in the U.S., like, we do advocate the death penalty, so... Harsh crimes, we believe people should be put to death. So it makes sense, like, for this cultural context, like, most of the cops would be on board with the guy, Kokira. Well, I I thought it was a little ridiculous that all of them but James were on board. James was the only one who was like, hey, who is this Kira guy? Why does he get to decide who lives or dies? Is that right? Like, it was a little ridiculous to me that there was no one else besides him in his police department that had his perspective. But... You know, at least the movie did have some awareness there that there were cultural differences that they could play into effect in terms of making this movie different from the original. Mm -hmm. But they didn't go all the way with any of these ideas. No, they didn't. But one part that annoys me is that, like, near the end of the film, where, like, Elle is, like, right about to shoot light, and then, like, that, like, chef guy, like, whacks Elle on the head to save light because he learns that he's Kira. And, like, they imply that, oh, this guy, like, looks up to Kira. Yeah. But we don't really see much in the movie, like, general civilians, like, advocating for Kira. I mean, we see that in the montage scene. Like, there's this cult that's worshipping Kira. There's people who are, like, raising Kira on the news. Mm-hmm. Or, like, but that that's, like, in all in that montage. So if you, like, completely gloss over that, if you took that montage out then yeah, you wouldn't like get yeah, that like, at all because that doesn't play a part anywhere else in the movie. They just don't go into it. And again, that whole scene with the freaking like Kira supporter knocking out L and saving life, that's another huge like thing that like tries to portray Light's actions as positive, him as sympathetic and righteous, which is like totally off base. And, and then like, that sappy music that plays like as he's running towards the amusement park just... Oh, that yeah, was so like, bad. Again, God, that's terrible. Like this, the way they portray Light and what he's doing is just... It really disturbs me that like apparently the people who are making this film were thinking like that, yeah, he is the good guy. And I know, like I said before, that I wouldn't mind an interpretation where Light was more sympathetic but, but they did a they, shitty job. Just my own moral 
Yeah, they just started off with it. And maybe it's my own moral philosophy that, like, I think killing people is wrong and stuff. But there's just no ambiguity to life, really. In that final scene, that final line from Light's dad tries to bring that up. But no, in the entire movie, Light is portrayed as the victim and as the protagonist. And you're supposed to be sympathetic and root for him to get out of this life. And I couldn't buy into that because Light is such an unlikable protagonist that I didn't want to root for. I he's wanted a to see bitch. him fail because he, yeah, he's a little bitch. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. So the only character who I thought was actually any good in this movie was Ryuk. William Defoe did a fantastic performance with him. Ryuk was really creepy and like had a lot of presence. He was very fun. Uh, he was not like the original Ryuk because in this movie he's more like a devil character he's more like active and like goading light and me into killing people and making them kill people whereas in the original manga ryuk was like he just wanted to see okay if a human got a death note what would they do with it let's see if it'd be interesting and this movie he actually has an agenda he wants to get the death note owners to actively kill people and we don't know why really i mean I guess that that's a big problem in the movie is because I guess they're supposed to assume that Ryuk is this big, scary demon motherfucker. So, of course, he <laughs> wants you to kill people in, in and, words. like, go sell your soul into darkness and stuff. Uh, he can't just be, like, this quirky, like, kind of goofy comic relief character that can be intimidating when it counts, but is mostly just makes quips about wanting to play uh, Super Mario or Mario <laughs> Golf. Apples. It's Mario Golf. Mario Golf, yeah. A real man's game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but there were some good moments with Ryuk. I think my favorite line was like, humans are interesting. I mean, the, the twist itself with L trying to maybe write Light's name down, I think that's insulting. But Ryuk saying that line, humans are interesting, laughing to himself because he knows something Light doesn't. That, in terms of just Ryuk's part in that, that was kind of fun. Yeah. I kind of like that. My other like favorite moment with Ryuk is like when like Light is angry at him because he thinks that Ryuk wrote the FBI agent's name sound. And he's like, you know, if you don't uh, shape up and obey me, I'm going to write your name down. And Ryuk is just like laughing and he's like, you know, there's four le- letters in my name, but people have only ever gotten down two. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah basically he's like, yeah, why don't you moment. fucking try, bitch? Like, come on. <laughs> Yeah, that was a great one. That was yeah. That was kind of. I was like, rooting for Ryuk. Yeah, I, I mean, I wanted to root for him more, but we don't get a concrete sense of his motivations, and he's just more like this devil character, like playing in the sidelines. Like Ryuk kind of makes it sound like that the passing of the death note from owner to owner is like this like ritualistic thing that's been happening since like the beginning of time or some shit. Yeah, that, I feel like that's what they were implying, but it was just kind of weird to me. Yeah, yeah. I, it's not as interesting as, like, Ryuk's original motivation of the manga is that he just was bored and wanted <laughs> to see what would happen if a human got the death note. And this yeah. is like, oh, I actually want you to kill people. If you're not up to it, I'll just find me someone else to kill people. But we don't ever get a sense that what is actually fun or interesting to him about that, other than the fact that, oh, he looks like a devilish character. It's, it's like, it's like so it's his job of course or the devil something. would want you to do bad things and lead you astray. Because he's a scary devil monster. I enjoy, uh, like, Defoe's actual performances, Ryuk, yeah. but, like, I don't know, like, he, he has, like, a f- like quite a few, like, good lines and stuff. Yeah. But at the same time, like, for the fact that they're trying to make him menacing, 
I don't think his design is very good. I actually thought the CG design for Ryuk looked pretty good. I don't know. It looks a bit, like, too wacky. Really? Well, it's Ryuk. Yeah, I know, but in the manga, that that works, because, like, like, he's not necessarily supposed to be menacing all the time in the manga, but for what they were going for here, it just kind of feels weird. Yeah, I mean... Like, it would have been better, honestly, if they had just, like, kept him in the shadows all the time and made him seem more like just this, like, shadowy figure. Well, in terms of an aesthetic choice, Sam Leach made a good tweet yesterday of, like, he almost imagined CG to, like, kind of be this kind of ink wash aesthetic that sort of looked like the manga version at times. Yeah. Kind of like in certain scenes that are that show real heavily stylized. Mm. And I do like that idea. That would have been interesting if they had went to that. That would have been cool, and I think that would have worked a lot better for what they were going for in this film. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, aside from that, though, like, Ryuk honestly just doesn't do much in this film. <laughs> yeah, it's disappointing because, again, William Defoe's Ryuk is like, the most entertaining part of the movie when he's on screen. Oh, yeah. Even if his actual character is not well-defined. Yeah. But, yeah. This film. Again, uh, on my Ghost in the Shell, I did not finish watching this and feel, like, completely soul-crushed and, like, broken inside. <laughs> I wasn't miserable after I finished the film. I was just like, did we really just watch that? Like, yeah. half an hour later, I was like... Did we actually just watch that? <laughs> I already feel like that was just yeah. such a nothing experience. I have no seeding rage for the live-action Death Note movie, but it is such a waste of potential. A uh, waste of some, you know, good talent. Matt Wolf, he did not turn into good performances uh, like Turner Ratter, but, you know, he's not terrible an actor, I don't think. I mean, I honestly don't have that much experience with him, but I, I think he probably could have done... Like, maybe some character that could have been good. I think a lot of it just comes down to bad directing and bad writing. If those aren't good, like, the actors themselves are going to have a hard time performing. It didn't really know what it wanted to be, or it had a really juvenile idea of what made Death Note fun, and went with that without really understanding what really drew people to Death Note. And, yeah, it just did not have good talent behind it creatively. I mean, cinematography, I do think this movie looks pretty good. Uh, the cinematographer of this movie was the same cinematographer of Speed Racer, actually. Oh! He huh. also did the Star Wars prequels, which... Uh... Well, those, movie, actual, those movies, like, weren't good, but, like, they looked okay for the most part. Aside from, I guess, episode one looks pretty ugly now. Yeah. Well, but I think that just wraps up our thoughts at the end of the day. We were very disappointed with this movie, but this is such a also forgettable movie that it doesn't leave us like with a seeding hatred for it. It just leaves us disappointed of what you know it could have been easily a better movie if they just had stuck to a more focused direction, like played it up as horror or as comedy, as actually been self-aware, put a little more effort into the script, and not relied on like cheap conveniences and the mind control thing yeah that's really sum it up well can i can i ask you guys this i i feel like i know the answer to this but do you feel like we've progressed at all as far as hollywood live action adaptations of anime go with this film at all because i i legitimately thought there were good things about this movie but i also like the more i talk about it the more i'm starting to feel like the bad really outweighs the good here 
Yeah, I don't think this is a step forward at all. I mean, really? even Ghost in the Shell, you could say there were some visual things that were decent in it. Yeah. So, like, if that, that was all this movie had going for it, is that like at least looked pretty good at parts, but the actual script, the interpretation, taking the source material and just not understanding it, Nothing like that is improved upon from the likes of Dragon Ball Evolution. Yeah, like, ago. the last genuine step forward we've ever had in Hollywood, like, adaptions of, like, Japanese material was Edge of Tomorrow. Well, really. Speed Racer was, like, a great attempt at a live-action anime, you know? That is that, true. That was a really stylish, great vision behind it. But we have not, like, come close to that. In ten years. Since yeah. Been. I hear so many people praise that movie now. Like, I'm really going to have to watch that really soon. <laughs> yeah, it's really fun. I don't know. Like, personally, I feel the same way. I didn't come out of this hating it either. But, like, you know, like, if somehow if you're listening to this and you haven't watched this movie at all, I mean, we've already talked a, a lot about it, so you probably don't want to watch it. But, I mean, like, if you still do, I didn't hate it all the way through. As much as I did hate some parts, but I'm not going to go out of my way to recommend this movie to fans of Death Note or not. Like, I'm not going to go out of my way to be like, yeah, you should totally go watch this new thing on Netflix. It's pretty cool. Like, I'm kind of in the middle with the movie, honestly. I don't hate it. I don't really love it either. If you're forced to choose between this movie and the Ghost in the Shell movie, go with this movie. Especially if you already have Netflix. Yeah. I, I can't recommend this movie at all. Because if you're not a fan of Dead Note, if you don't know anything about Dead Note, this movie will not make you interested in Dead no. Note. This will be a terrible first impression. If you care about anything that's going on, you'll probably just stop watching it. Because the only reason I could watch through this whole thing was because I was doing a podcast about it. Same. And because, you know, I had, like, some stake in this because I was invested in the original source material. So I wanted to see it all the way through to see how they're going to handle this, where they're going to go with it. And I was, of course, disappointed. So if you're a fan, you're not going to enjoy this. If you're not a fan, you're not. it's not going to be appealing to you. This is not a universal, of course. Some people did find enjoyment in this movie. But just generally, I don't think it was very worthwhile. Generally, you're going to have a bad time. But at least it was relatively in Oh, wait a minute. I just remembered about the scene that really, really pissed me off. Oh, no. The freaking explanation about why Light adopts the name Kira, why he comes up with a name. <laughs> like, because Kira apparently means, like, like in some other languages. But oh, no, like, the real, like, reason, the reason that he convinces Mia to go with the name is that apparently Kira sorta means killer in Japanese. Which is so if they're gonna be looking for Kira, they're looking on the wrong continent. And that's not true. Kira does not mean killer in Japanese at all. It's a freaking transliteration of the English word killer. And Kira actually means like shining or glittering. Like that's what the actual word means. And Kira is, uh, why would they just be looking on Japan in the first place? Because Kira is a common Japanese name, and there's Japanese people in America. The death started in America. Why would they be looking in Japan? Most of the people dying have not been in Japan. That's not where the deaths originally started from. The logic just makes no sense. It's infuriating. It is insulting because they freaking get the fucking meaning of a word wrong, and they're expecting you to buy it. That's 
as if we can't just easily look it up on the internet and confirm for ourselves. You insult the audience's intelligence. <laughs> Freaking fuck you, Adam and Garden, but Jeremy Sid. Slater. <laughs> He said it sort of means killer in Japanese. He said sort of. Yes, because Shining means killer. Yes. He said sort of. So he obviously wasn't completely right. Come on, Sid. Give him a break. I mean, we think about the Shining. The Shining the film has a lot of killing, so therefore... (laughs) God damn it. No, there's no justification for that kind of bullshit at all. Screw this movie. It was terrible. We need a palate cleanser. Let's talk about the original Death Note. We got some questions about the original Death Note from my friend Gunsword Fist over on Animation Revelation. He has a few questions for us. Let's just, like, kind of wind down decompress kind of answering these. And we sort of, you know, address some of these on our discussion. But we can just go over it again in case people haven't uh, gotten around to that yet. So, Gunsword Fist, first question is, does anyone else hate Nisa? And, of course, my response is, I didn't hate Nisa. You know, upon rereading it, I found that she was a lot more likable than I originally had thought. And I am okay with her. I'm just disappointed about how she was used, ultimately. Yeah, I, I like Nisa, and I actually think she's pretty useful, in, especially in the Yotsuba arc. But, like, yeah, near the end, she feels very shafted, but... There was never a point where I actually hated her. If anything, I felt sorry for her at times, because she's kind of just being used by light the entire time. I don't dislike Misa as much as I used to, but I don't generally think she's a great character either. Uh, his second question is, favorite things about the Near Arc and the Yotsabar? That's a tough one. <laughs> Nearer, no, the ending is obvious. Yeah, 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 that was that was easily the best part of that entire arc, honestly. I mean, aside from that, I guess the best part for me would be the whole part where it's pretty much Mellow has a Death Note, and then yeah, Light is like facing off against Mellow. Yeah, those first two volumes. Yeah, that stuff's great. And it's just Mellow is good. Yotsuba arc, I'd say my favorite part was near the end where everyone's coming together to capture Higuchi. Mm-hmm. And, like, even, like, the old, like, cops that left the Kira task force come back and they're, like, helping out. And they're, yeah. like... That's a good moment, yeah. yeah. Like, that just, was really Just crazy. everyone working together at the end. So cool. Yeah, I also like Matsuda sneaking into the Yotsuba group organization and just spying around. <laughs> that was a good character moment. Yeah, that, that was cool. Ah, man, I was gonna say that, too. Actually, Misa does a neat thing where she gets Higuchi to uh, confess to him being Kira. I actually thought that was kind of neat for her character. Yeah. Yeah. Again, Misa has some really good moments in that arc. Yeah, Misa's really proactive in the Otsuba arc, which Mm -hmm. makes me just really sad that she just stops being useful in the near arc. I don't think I definitively said this in uh, our podcast, but... I do think the Yotsuba arc is probably my favorite part of Death Note because I think it just makes the best use of all the characters and it's really interesting to see Light and L working together. Yeah, same. Yeah, I could see that. It really shows that the series didn't need to solely depend on it being kind of a mind conflict between L and Light. It can go in other directions. We can have other people have the Death Note still make this series interesting. Yeah, Yotsuba was a good arc. And I wish, like, the rest of the series would have been more like that. Yeah. Moving on, his next 
question is, does anyone else think that Naomi Misora should have a much bigger role in the series? And yeah, I definitely <laughs> yes. agree. I ranted about this a lot on our Dead Note discussion, oh, but God. I thought she was completely wasted. And yeah, after, after easily... listening to what you had to say, Sid, I'm, I'm in full agreement that even though it obviously wasn't Oba's intention to have Misora play a more active role in the series, like, she's basically another obstacle for Light to get over. I feel like out of all the female characters in Death Note, she had probably the most potential to be the most useful and the most, uh, really the most awesome, honestly. Yeah, and it's just yeah. so frustrating that she... She's worked with Elle no before. impact like, on the story. Not Nothing that? that she does affects how anything else turns out. Especially seems like before, like, Light makes her commit suicide. It seems like they're hyping her up to be, like, this kind of right-hand man to yeah. L, and it just doesn't happen. Yeah. Yeah, so that's I definitely think she's the most wasted character. That's true. So, what is the dumbest thing Light has ever done in the series? Now, if this were asking what's the dumbest thing Light Turner does, we we have plenty <laughs> of answers, but, oh, man, I don't know. I feel, I feel like Light was pretty good about covering his ass for most of the series, honestly. Like, Light was never really being dumb. Like, even when, uh, by his downfall, it's not really completely his fault. At the end, it's Mikami's fault. Oh, you know what? Really, kind of. I'm, I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt. I actually forgot to mention this on the podcast too. Something that really one of the few things about Death Note that actually bothers me upon rereading the. Uh, it's during the portion where all of the Yagami family is being surveillanced by L during the time where he's thinks, oh yeah, Light is obviously Kira. Rewatching the scene where Light has everything set up to where. He has a mini television set inside of a bag of potato chips in, in a in a position in, in his room where, like, I guess in a blind spot where the cameras in his room won't catch it. Like, I don't know. Like, it's just, how was that TV small enough to fit inside of a bag of potato chips? Also, when did he have the time to put that TV in the potato chips? I think he went to, like, a convenience store beforehand, and then he somehow resealed the bag with the camera inside. I guess. That would, yeah, that would be, that would be the yeah. only way that scene makes sense. Cause, like, when you really reread that scene again, you have no frame of reference as to, like, when he sets this all up. Like, I really wish that at least, like, before they went into the, like, house, they had, like, explained, like, how he's gonna reseal this bag. Cause, like, that's the only part I kind of don't know how he did. I think that might be one of the dumbest things he did because he spent, like, a ridiculous <laughs> amount of money, like 50,000 yen on that small t portable TV. Yeah. And then he tried to throw it out the next day. Yeah, but it, it was a good plan because L didn't figure it out at all. I guess. Yeah. Inevitable. I mean, yeah. I guess, like, in terms of, like, other, like, dumb things he's done, I guess it's underestimating Mir. Yeah. Mainly because, like, he gets into the same mentality the readers get into about Nier just being a dollar store L. Yeah, and he, he kind of gloats in front of Nier and says, well, Nier, I win. That bit him in the ass. <laughs> oh, my and of God. course, when he, <laughs> like, begs for you to, to write coming? memes in the death note, like, that was a big mistake. Yeah. When he starts, like, gloating and talking with, like, Mikabi before, like, they actually even, like, activate the heart attacks. Mm -hmm. It's just like... You're kind of jumping the gun here, Light. Yeah. Also, just a side note, doesn't really have much to do with anything. I, one of my favorite parts about, um, about that last volume of Death Note is that bit where Light is trying to keep himself from laughing and I'm just like, dude, don't get ahead of yourself. Like, it's just, it's so funny to see him, like, already reading the series and knowing what happens. Like, that scene feels so much more, like, gratifying because it's like, oh, he's not gonna win, fucking asshole. <laughs> mm. It's so good. Yeah, the whole time I was reading that, I'm like, okay, so 
how is he going to lose? This plan seems, like, airtight. And after, like, Mir reveals what he did, I'm just like, oh, fucking light, you got fucked. Yeah. Oh, man. And so, uh, DSO's final question is, what is the dumbest thing Elle has ever done in the series? Mm. Mm. That's a really good question. I don't, I don't really know if there are a lot of holes in Elle's plans to, I guess, really the only thing holding him back, I think, in some cases, were just, you know, the rest of the task force not entertaining the thought of Light being Kira at all. I think the dumbest thing Elle ever did was give, like, the death note in the helicopter. I mean, there's no way he could have known that would trigger, like, getting his memories back. But just trusting, like, with the Death Note, even though he suspected him of being Kira, that allowed, like, to kill off people right then and there. I Uh, mean, to be fair, Light also kind of just grabs it from him. Yeah, but he doesn't, like, take it back. He just lets Light keep it. And, like, he, when Light asks him, hey, can I cross-reference, like, the names written down at this with people who died? Like, Ella's like, uh, sure. That was a mistake. That allowed Light to go forward with his plan. Yeah, I guess, I guess the big problem there is that L just didn't know a lot of stuff about the Death Note. He didn't know about the possession, but that was a big mistake that he made that ultimately cost him his life. Yeah. Letting Light touch the notebook. Oh, you know what? Actually, I have a... Going back to dumbest things that Light's done, I can't believe I didn't think about this. The the thing that started it all, like Light killing Lindell Taylor on TV. Yeah. That was like an obvious ruse that he fell for. Yeah. And that was like pretty much just an impulse kill on his part. Yeah. That actually might be the dumbest thing he's done. Yeah. It speaks to like his childish impulses. Which, goddamn, that's still like one of the best moments in the entire series. <laughs> Yeah, but that does it for questions. Thank you, Gunsword Fist. And remember, guys, to send questions for this show and others to our email, mangamarriage at gmail.com, or tweet at us on Twitter at, at manga underscore mavericks, or post them in the thread on Animation Revelation, uh, just the Manga Mavericks thread on Animation Revelation, or just wherever you can find and contact us. But I think that finally does it for this episode on uh, the Death Note live-action Netflix movie. Finally. Which, to reiterate, uh, we can't really recommend at all. Not really, no. But thank you for coming on, Colton, and discussing this movie with us. It was a uh, fun two hours. No problem. I'm glad that we at least got two good podcasts out of this stupid movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it wasn't a complete waste. But um, So you can find me on Twitter, at SniperKing323. That's uh, S-N-I-P-E-R-K-I-A-G-323. I do, I do a few other podcasts, just to name them real quick. Uh, if you're a fan of Gintama, go listen to Life Lessons, the Gintama manga cast at gintalifelessons.wordpress.com. There's also one podcast prevails, if you are a fan of Detective Conan slash Case Closed, whatever you want to call it, at uh, onepodcastprevails.wordpress.com. And every once in a while, I'm on the Animanga podcast. I actually, just earlier today, not to date this recording, but I actually did an episode again about the live action Death Note movie so if you want to yeah I was a bit more positive in that one but after being on here like I am less positive about the movie now I'll have to link that (laughs) in the description so people can see uh, both your dates between these two the slow corruption of Colton yeah (laughs) yeah so how through the course of one day your movie your opinion on the movie took a 180 yeah it was was really interesting definitely go to animangapodcast.com if you want to hear the episodes I'm on or really just listen to the show in general I really like recording with Jammer and Dominic. Hopefully we can have them on Manga Mavericks at some point. How about you, Wheelard? Where can people find you? 
Uh, yeah, the people can find me on Twitter at VLORDGTZ, that is V-L-O-R-D-E-G-T-Z. Um, if you want to talk about JoJo or Conan or whatever I'm reading or watching, uh, you can hit me up on there. I'm also under that name on my anime list and a bunch of other places. Pretty much any place that is VLORDGTZ is probably me. Yeah, and as for me, you can find me as Atlamamiyasha on Twitter. Tumblr, my anime list, animation relation, anywhere you see a guy named Lam Ramayasha, you can assume that is me. As for the show, you can follow the show on Twitter at, at manga underscore mavericks, on Tumblr at manga mavericks.tumblr.com, on our YouTube, just search for manga mavericks. Remember guys, we need those underscores to get that custom URL, so please like and subscribe our content on there, and on iTunes, which we could also use some ratings and reviews, so uh, look us up and write us some reviews on there as well, that really helps the show out. But of course, you can find all of our podcasts first on all-comic.com, that's where we post these podcasts up first for every podcasts related to the Manga Mavericks brand, be it Manga Mavericks, Manga Mavericks ad movies, and other spin-off shows that happen every now and again, like Manga Fights and then other stuff that we recorded but haven't released yet. How far are you in that Monster Girl Manga Fight? Oh, that should come out soon. <laughs> Depending on when you're listening to this. So look out for those. Uh, follow allcomic.com on Twitter at, at all underscore comic. So you can follow uh, that account there. Uh, also on Facebook, alk-comic. And also, the site could really use their help, so support our GoFundMe link is in the description. Every dollar counts, guys, so it would really be a big help, because this show would not be able to happen without the support of the site. So, definitely uh, follow us on all our social media platforms, and um, the same for our all-comic site. This was another great episode of At Movies, the show formerly called Movie Average, where we realized that movie was taken. Yeah. And yeah, we'll see you in the next one, I suppose. See ya. Whenever that'll be, whenever we'll get around to editing that. You know, this freaking backlog of a dozen of them, I'm sure. We'll oh, see. God. See ya. Later. Am I dead? Did the power of love kill me? 
please say yes.